0: Today, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 7. You know that that's a part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is a a very special uh, passage within that sermon that we all know about, we've all read, we've all heard about uh, many times in our life. I'm going to go through the verses today, so if you'll just leave your Bible uh, open on your lap, we're going to go from start to finish. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus describes the way that a man or a woman prays who really understands what the Sermon on the Mount is about. They really get it. Now, if we take this section of the scripture and take it out of context, it can mean some of the wrong things. Now, most of you know that eisegesis is when you take a verse out of context and you make it prove some point that you want to make. Exegesis is when you take the whole passage and you look at it verse by verse by verse by verse, verse, and it comes together. It makes sense. It's God's word. It helps us, blesses us, and that's the way we're supposed to do it. Well, this is particularly important important for our passage today. We don't want to take it out of context, and we don't want to abuse the Word of God in that way. The Bible says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Therefore, some people read this and they reason to themselves. They say, well, gee, If that's true, they just are looking at this verse. If that's true, then all I have to do is ask for something in faith and persistence, and God will give it to me. And I want a jaguar. (laughs) And I want a new house. I want a trip around the world. So I'm just going to start uh, praying for it, and I'll get it. Uh, You know, some people come at this text Uh, with that mentality some would say go for it you know look what it says go for it name it and claim it you've heard that before I'm sure this view sees God as kind of a celestial uh, slot machine if you keep uh, pulling the handle enough times in prayer you're going to get exactly what you want well that kind of thinking and that kind of eisegesis really hurts the text that we're looking at today. Uh, isolating this text from its setting in the Sermon on the Mount leads to all kinds of theological uh, problems. The broad context of the sermon sets out for us humility. Humility is very, very important. And then there's Sincerity. And and then there is purity. And then there is love. And these are the things that we want to see in context. These are the things that are expected of those that are members of God's family. In the passage just before this, we're told not to be condemning people. Not to be judgmental people. Jesus tells us, In the same way that we judge other people, he is going to judge us. How can we live up to such a high standard as that? We need a lot of help, and there's only one place that we can go for the kind of help that we need. And that's obviously to our Lord. I have three points this morning. Point number one, Jesus says in verse 7, do you have it? Verse 7, ask and it will be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. This famous text is not a free credit card for our material desires. Rather, it tells us how to pray for the character of the kingdom of God to be in his people. To be in us, to be in our church, to be in all the churches around the world that are worshiping the risen Christ today. This prayer teaches us how to pray so that our morals and our ethics will be in line with those of our Savior. Now, point number two, we are to pray with persistence. Look at verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. These three verbs, ask, seek, knock, are presented in an ascending intensity. It gets stronger and stronger as you go through it. Uh, These are important words. Ask is the first. It implies a conscious need. There's something that we need, and so we ask for it. The word ask also suggests humility. Because when we're asking for something, obviously we're asking somebody who has more than we do. And we're asking them for something to help us. The next step is to seek. This not only involves asking, but it also involves action. The idea is not merely to express one's need, but it's also to get up and look around for it. You know, that's what we need to do. If we just sit in the back room of our house and say, God, I need you to work this out for me, and we never do anything related to to the working out of that issue, after God has given us a a good mind and a strong body and a a strong will, uh, then we're not doing our part. We're just laying it all on God and saying, God, you do it all. I don't want to do anything. Well, knock includes asking and seeking plus persevering. It's a picture of someone standing at a door and continuing to knock on that door. It's a closed door, and we want a response. And so we knock again and again and again. Sometimes when I go visiting, I hear people inside, and I knock on the door, and nobody comes to the door. And I know they're in there. (laughs) You know, when we knock on the door of the kingdom, we know that we're going to get an answer. God is there. And God wants to reach out to us and to help us and to move us along life's way. The stacking of these words is very forceful. This is how we, you and me, this is how we, are supposed to pray. Jesus is talking to us, not to somebody else. He's talking to us. The two boys uh, walked into the dentist's office, and one of them said, "Uh, need to have a tooth pulled out today, and I don't want any gas, don't want any deadening. We're in a hurry, and just want it taken out right now. The dentist uh, looked at the boy and said, well, you are a mighty brave young man. Which tooth is it? And the bigger boy looked at his little friend. And he says, Billy, show him the tooth. <laughs> you know, the Lord is talking to us, not to Billy. Uh, we're the ones that need to hear. We're the ones that need to be cognizant of the plan that God has for us. In the Greek language, there are two kinds of imperatives. Some of you, I know, have studied Greek, and you're well aware of this. There is the aorist uh, imperative, which is a single command. It's like uh, close the door, pick up the newspaper. That's an aorist imperative. There's also a present imperative, and it commands continuous action. A translation of that would be keep closing the door, keep picking up the newspaper. So our text today, if we look at it carefully, says keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door shall be opened unto you. This is the kind of prayer that we're supposed to give. These opening verses are remarkably intense. And there's no doubt that our Lord meant for them to be understood in that way. Jesus is driving his point home. And this is the point. We are to passionately persist in prayer. We naturally persevere in our prayers when somebody in our family is sick. If our little boy is sick, we don't have to be reminded to pray. Uh, We're praying constantly for him. If it's our little daughter, we don't have to be reminded. We're praying for her every hour, asking God to touch her, to help her, to heal her if there is some big financial issue in our life, some big bill that is about to slam us, we don't have to be reminded to pray. We know to pray because sometimes it seems like God's the only one that can help us through whatever the situation is. Sometimes we are in for a promotion. It's between us and two other people. And we pray and we want God's will to be done But we want the job. And so we pray. We pray that God would help us to do our very best. Sometimes there's a dangerous task ahead. When it's that way, we generally find it easy to pray, don't we? When something dangerous is right in front of us. But let me ask you, do we persist in our prayers for spiritual growth? Not only for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in the faith. Do we ask and seek and knock for a pure mind? We need a pure mind today. Are we asking, seeking, knocking, praying for that? Do we keep on knocking for a forgiving spirit? or for the removal of an angry or critical spirit. We really do need to get rid of that. Consider what would happen if God's people understood what Christ is saying here, and we put it to work. We just put it to work. It seems we give ourselves to passionate prayer for spiritual development only when We are standing in the need of something that God can give us. The rest of the time, we think, well, things are going pretty well. Everything's good. And so maybe we kind of cut back on our time of intercession with the Lord. We are called to be holy as he is holy. Leviticus 19.2. We are called to realize that only the pure in heart will see God. Matthew 5, 8. The sight of God's perfect standard before us is really a distance from us. And we have to be involved with him not only in our prayers, but in our will, as we will to be a part of his family and his work uh, here on earth. There's no hope for spiritual improvement apart from his continuing love and mercy. The one who sees this rejoices when he reads the invitation that's in his word. Ask, seek, and knock. That's what every one of us here this morning needs to do about some particular area in our life. We need to take these steps about this particular issue. We are to ask and keep on asking for those things that will make us more like Jesus. We are to seek and keep on seeking. We're to knock and to keep on knocking. Perseverance is the key. We have to stay with it. Keep on doing these things. It's the key to God's treasure. We all want God's treasure, don't we? We want what he has to give, what he offers. There's a lady trying to get in the back door, and she can't get in. There we go. Somebody's letting her in. That's good. We want her to come in. (laughs) This is the way it is with earthly treasures. We need to seek for them and ask for them we need to try and get them so that they will be an honor to our Savior, to our Lord. When Howard Carter, the British archaeologist, peered wide-eyed into a big hole in the ground into this ancient Egyptian tomb in 1922, at first he couldn't see anything because it was very, very dark down there, but he had a lamp in his hand. For more than 20 centuries, archaeologists and tourists and tomb robbers had searched for the burial places of the pharaohs of Egypt. It was believed that nothing else remained to be found. People had been puttering around in that area for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they thought, well, we have found everything that there is. Everything. Has been found. Well, there's a place over there called the Royal Valley where these pharaohs were buried. And great wealth, uh, great gold, great jewels, great this, great that were always down in the tomb with them. So this was a very important thing. Well, only a few scrapes of evidence convinced Carter that he should carry on this pursuit, that he should stay with it. He had to finance the whole thing on his own. Nobody was helping him, but he stayed with it for six years, digging around, scraping the dirt away. He had one or two people helping him, looking for what was down in there. Nobody felt there was anything less to be discovered other than this one man. But he was convinced that there was one remaining tomb. Twice during his six-year search, he came within two yards of the tomb that he was looking for. It was the burial chamber. One day, as he was digging around, His shovel hit something hard, and, of course, his heart jumped. The assistants uh, were behind him, and they began to say, what is it? What is it? Well, he found the first step of the burial chamber, and he knew what was ahead immediately. The assistant said, can you see? Can you see what it is? His eyes were adjusting. He held the lamp before him. He was seen, but he had difficulty speaking because what he was seeing, no living person had ever seen. There were wooden animals. There were chariots, full size. There were carved cobras. There were vases. There were daggers. There were literally buckets and buckets and buckets of jewels of rare and precious stones. There was a full-sized throne in there, and there was the hand-carved coffin of a teenage king. It was the priceless tomb and treasure of King Tut. The world's most exciting archaeological discovery had been made. Howard Carter, great perseverance, brought him the treasure of King Tut. How much greater are our rewards when we persevere? Have you been asking God to do something for six years in your life? I prayed for the salvation of my parents every night from the time I was 15 years old Until they came to Christ at 85 and 97, it finally, finally happened. Sometimes it takes a long time, but we're supposed to be faithful. We're supposed to stay with it. We're supposed to persevere. And if we do, there are great rewards for us. God wants to give them to us, and God will give them to us. Guess what? These great riches didn't bring King Tut any joy. And if you were as rich as he was without Christ, the effect would be the same on you. Besides, King Tut had to leave it all behind. He was buried, just a young, young man. The treasures Christ gives are eternally ours. They're with us forever. They are eternally satisfying. It doesn't just last for a day or a moment or an hour, a week, a month, a year, a decade. It lasts forever. The perseverance that we must have is the key. We may wonder why God wants to give us And to persist intensely for these treasures, if he wants to give it to us, why didn't he just give it to us? Well, he wants us to be ready. You know, sometimes we're not ready for the things that God really does want to give to us. Persistent prayer prepares us for the treasures that are coming. Third point, we are to pray with confidence. Uh, Jesus' words here teach us that we are not only to pray with persistence, but with confidence. The verses say to us, there is a shout of assurance that should go with your prayers. Ask, and it will be, the emphasis on will, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. These are promises from Almighty God for our spiritual development. The only condition for our receiving spiritual treasure is persistence. If we ask persistently for increased spiritual growth, God will give it. If we pray for understanding, for wisdom... God will give it. If we pray for intimacy with God, we will receive it. I'm glad that these verses are not just a blank check for anything because that would ruin the whole concept of what the Lord would want us to have. Dr. Howard Hendricks uh, was speaking to a bunch of preachers one day And he told them this story. He said, you know, when I was a young man, there were a lot of mothers that let me know for sure that they wanted me to marry their daughters. He said, I met one of the daughters. He said, "Uh, have you men ever been thankful for unanswered prayer? (laughs) He said, I was that day. Now, I'm grateful that God has not answered all of my prayers, aren't you? Didn't you pray for some silly things when you were a kid? Didn't you pray for some silly things when you were 21 years old? You know, we all do that. We're immature in the faith, and we pray for the wrong thing and the wrong way at the wrong time, and we're not ready for it. God wants to give it to us, but we've got to get ready. And when we're ready... The Lord will give it. On the other hand, how wonderful it is that he always answers your and my persistent prayers for spiritual growth. He answers those all along the way. Jesus assures us that this is true with illustrations taken from earthly fatherhood. Look at verse 9 with me. Which of you, if he asks his son for bread we'll give him a stone, or if he asked for a fish, we'd give him a snake. Now, the illustration is deliberately absurd. In the Galilean setting for the giving of the Sermon on the Mount, the people were familiar with some flat stones that you could find down near the seaside. Uh, There were round stones that were brown, and they looked exactly like Uh, the cakes that the women of that time uh, would cook uh, for people to eat. They looked exactly alike. Uh, There were fish in that water that looked exactly like snakes. And if you weren't careful, you would get the wrong thing. Can you imagine your son coming to you and saying, Dad or mom, I am really hungry. Do you have anything for me to eat? And you hand him a cake of rock. And he bites down on it, and of course his teeth uh, begin to crack. And you say, oh, you didn't like that? Well, here, have this. And we give him something that looks like a, a fish, but actually it's a snake. No first century father would do that. And no father today would do that. Our heavenly father always gives us what is good, what we need. Our Lord crowns our assurance with an illustration of our heavenly father. Look at verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, here is a very familiar argument that Jesus is so very fond of. If something is true in the lesser, how much more true it is in the greater. God is our Father, our dearest Father. If you think of the time in your life when your father was at his very, very best, the very, very best day he ever had as a father in your mind. You have to multiply that by 10 zillion times to get how good our heavenly father is to each of us all the time. An earthly father would never give his child a stone for bread, but sometimes our earthly fathers do make mistakes, don't they? Every once in a while they do. At times, an earthly father can think something is right and something is timely, but it's not. Our heavenly father never errs. It is his policy to give greater quality and quantity than we can even imagine in our prayers. Our assurance is this. God will give us anything that is good for us spiritually if we will just keep asking for it. If you do not have eternal life through Christ as your Lord and Savior, ask him for it, and he'll give it to you. If you are a believer but you're short on Christian graces, you need to keep on praying. If you find yourself lying regularly, you need to begin to ask and seek and knock and God will help you to become a truth-teller. If you are not generous, make a habit of passionate prayer until God would give you the gift of generosity. If you are not a kind person, you don't have a kind person, pray patiently, but seek God for a kind spirit. And guess what? He'll give it to you. Just think what would happen if we all prayed for these things for ourselves and for our fellow believers. It would change not only our church, but our town. Because people would know that person has been changed dramatically, wonderfully. They have a sweeter spirit than I've ever seen before. Isn't it a great thing? What happened to you? And then you have the opportunity To give a witness in response. Do we want the character of the kingdom in our lives? Then we have to do two things. We have to ask persistently and we have to ask in a confident way. These are promises that God makes to us. We're going to get the thing that we're praying for if we pray in these ways. God will give us anything that we ask for that is good for us spiritually. If we lack spiritually, it's our own fault. As James says, if you do not have, you do not have because you haven't asked God. In James 4 2. Over 200 years ago, John Newton wrote the following hymn Come, my soul, thy case prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray, therefore he will not say nay. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. The words of that great hymn are true. We can never ask too much spiritually. If you're here in the house today and Christ is not in your heart, ask for it today and you can have it. You can have it in these very moments. Do you need a church home? Ask for it today and you can have it. The Lord will provide it. Are there spiritual steps that you should take, and you haven't taken them? Ask today for the strength, the power, the insight, the will to take those steps, and those steps will be given. We're going to sing this morning a hymn of invitation, as we always do, and we're going to invite any that are in the house that have been asking God for some particular thing, maybe that can be provided today. Certainly salvation can. Certainly church membership can. Certainly an answer to that special spiritual prayer that you've been giving, maybe it can be answered today. Whatever it might be, today as we sing the hymn, let's try and get in touch with Almighty God. And if he would encourage us to take a step on faith, let's do it in these moments. Stand together. I'll be waiting here at the front.